Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Mike Ingersoll and EJ Wilson. We are coming to you all sponsored, as always, by Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. It is finally game week on Saturday. The Heels will be facing off against South Carolina. 3.30 kickoff. It's a big one. So let's go ahead and, and just jump right into this, guys. Uh, coming from the, the former Letterman's perspective, you guys have obviously you know been there, done that. EJ, let's go ahead and start with you, man. Coming into this game, how do you think that new defensive coordinator Jay Bateman will be approaching it? Do you think that he is going to want to come out of this one kind of with guns blazing? Or do you think it might be a little bit dialed back given the limited amount of time the team has had to learn his system? I think it'll be dialed back in the grand scheme of what we'll probably see during the season. But I think with the tempo of the defense that he wants to run, he wants to be high energy. He wants to be sending multiple guys at you on almost every play. So I do think that we're still going to see some of that. We're still going to see Coach Bateman send the heat, as uh, people like to say. And I think that he should do that because we all know that our first team defensive line or our blue team defensive line are our dominant players. They're all all ACC caliber players, in my opinion. But the second uh, defensive line is where we really have some of our question marks. Do we have talent there? Yes, we do. But they're unproven entities. So I think that we need to go ahead and throw these, throw live bullets out there, keep the tempo that we want to keep for the season as far as how we want to attack on defense because we need to see how this second line of guys is going to react. We need to put the starters in a position where, okay, we're sending so much heat, they're getting a little tired. We want to keep some fresh bodies in there because, as you all know, that if you're going to attack, attack, attack on defense, the first people that are going to get worn down are the big guys up front. So there's going to be a constant rotation. Uh, my attitude when I was playing was that there really are no defensive starters because every all the guys are going to play uh, about the same amount of stats, of course, with the starters getting a little bit more. But I think that we should go out and attack. It's not going to be the full array of – plays and blitzes and things that we're going to see as we get towards the meat of the season, the bulk of the season. But I do think that we need to show them something to get, not just to show other teams what we can do, but to get our guys ready for the style of football that we want to play. All right, then, Mike, what about on offense? Sam Howell is going to be starting at quarterback by all indications. So if you are Phil Longo, kind of the same thing, do you just really open up the playbook and try to take South Carolina by surprise, or do you kind of more – maybe play within your, your players' limits a little bit there? Well, South Carolina is going to be taken by surprise the first couple series anyway, just because they don't have film on Carolina's personnel uh, running this offensive scheme. And I've talked about this on recent podcasts, um, but the point remains the same. It's very difficult to game plan against a coordinator, and that's what South Carolina is having to do. It's much easier to game plan against players operating within that coordinator's scheme. What they're having to what South Carolina is having to do right now is they're having to go and they're having to watch Phil Longo film from Ole Miss and his previous stops, trying to get an idea of what is he going to do early on in the season? What's he going to, you know, if they have film of Longo his first year at Ole Miss, they're looking at that to get an idea of how he treated the first game with his new personnel there at, down at Ole Miss. Um, and similarly, they're doing the same thing with Jay Bateman. They're having to go back and look at his Army film and see how he treated um, how he treated the first game during his Army tenure, how he came out with the guys that he had just spent only two months in camp with or only a month in camp with. 
Um, so it's it's much more difficult to game plan against that because different players bring different things to the table, and they have absolutely no film on any of our guys running Longo's scheme. Now, what they do have is they can run player evaluations and create you know strength and weakness charts on the returning personnel that we do have offensively, which I'm sure they've already done. Um, they, they've already scouted those guys. They have they have a rundown of 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 each guy that's projected to start and contribute what they're good at, what they're bad at. Um, and then they'll try to kind of square peg round hole that into the Longo schematics that they gain from watching Longo film. Um, what they don't have the benefit of is any Sam Howell film and they have very, very limited Jace Reuter film. So um, game planning against the quarterback is going to be difficult just from an ability standpoint. That being said, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see Will Muschamp and company throw the kitchen sink at um, at Sam Howell early, just just to rattle him a little bit. And I would have to think that Longo is expecting that. So they will likely come out early in a, um, not max protection, but maybe one player less, a lot of six-man protection, um, and just kind of let the game come to them and see how Muschamp is going to approach Sam Howell and try to let him ease into it a little bit with some relatively vanilla schemes and vanilla concepts the first few series. All right, turning back to the defense, EJ, you mentioned that the strength of this year's defense is in the defensive line, specifically the first team on the defensive line. And, you know, that's been something that the coaching staff has really echoed and the practice reports would also back that up. So who are some players in in general, and you can name as many as you want here, that you think must really step it up to set the tempo early against South Carolina on Saturday? Uh, Jason Strobridge, he's going to be he, – he's the leader of that defense. He has to come out. He has to set the tempo in the run game. He has to set the tempo with the intensity of his pass rush. And he has to be make, – to make smart decisions. We saw a lot of our defensive linemen and just defense in general really go out and make a lot of bonehead plays last year. And um, we got to see some, one of our linebackers step up. Um, and, of course, the secondary as well. I think that probably the, the secondary will probably be the most – probably the most experienced and the, the, the guys that we kind of lean on because I feel like that's probably our defense, de- deepest position on that side of the ball. But uh, Jason Strobridge and Aaron Crawford, I think those those two guys need to step up and have a great game. Aaron's going to be controlling the middle of that defense, so he has to step up, and we have to get some guys in there that are going to give them a breather, maybe three plays at a time here and there so we can get the rotation going. But if, if we have those two guys have a great game and um, – we can get Tamon Fox setting the edge like we know he can set the edge. I think uh, those three guys have a big game, and we don't have any too big of mistakes or anything in the back end. I think we'll go out and we'll have a great game. We're, we're playing against an experienced quarterback, a guy that's probably going to be South Carolina's all-time leading passer by the time this season is done. But I think that we don't let him get off to a hot start. We show him that we're here to play. And I think that those three guys are going to be the guys that are going to be after him, not only in the passing game, but in the run game. So we see a big guy, we see a big statement game from from those three guys. Uh, I think that that's really going to set the tone for the rest of the season. And those three guys have been in the program, and I think everyone else is going to follow their lead. Let me ask you a quick follow-up here, EJ, because UNC is going to have two of their more experienced leaders having to sit out one half of the game, Dominique Ross and Patrice Rene. If you put yourself in Bateman's shoes, do you go with the theory of having both of guys maybe sit out the first half, play them in the second half, 
you try to stagger those two? How would you approach having to have those guys miss one half of, of Saturday's matchup? I think I would I would uh, throw the guys in there um, and, and just let them uh, sit out that first half. I wouldn't try to stagger them because that can mess up some some people's tempo. I would just want to get them in there once they serve their penalty uh, and get them in there in the second half. Like I mentioned that, um, especially in, in Patrice Renee's case, we have a deep secondary, so I don't think that that's this is really not going to be. A, a bigger problem having those guys come in. Of course, we want our more experienced players on the field, but I'm confident in the guys that we have backing them up. So I would definitely have them sit out the whole first half and just bring them in in the second half. And, and that way they can treat it just like they're coming in at the beginning of the game. It's kind of hard to jump in right in the middle of it. Uh, you got to get, I mean, especially if you're used to starting and used to being out there on the field, it's a little bit different situation uh, coming off the bench. So I say let those guys come in in the second half and treat it just like, hey, we get one half of football play to play today the beginning of the third quarter is the first quarter to me and i'm going to come out with that intensity so i definitely uh would not stagger them and just send them both in in the uh, second half yeah i think i definitely agree with you there mike turning back to you and the offense kind of in the the same line of questioning that i asked cj about the the players and leading do you think it's too much to really expect sam howell to kind of take the reins of this team in this very first game or do you think that unc may need someone that's been in the program for a few years to kind of really be the vocal leader during this south carolina game well i mean that that question took a took a left when i thought it was going one direction um it, I guess the the vocal leadership, yeah. I mean, that, that's usually going to fall on your older guys unless you have an AJ Blue esque kind of guy in that locker room. Um, it, you know, a younger guy that people are actually going to listen to because he has something to say. Um, but Sam is the quarterback, and people are going to look to him no matter how old or how young he is. So there is going to be an aspect of uh, you know vocal and physical leadership that's going to have to take place there, and he's going to have to exude um, if there's going to be any confidence put into him as the guy moving forward, because I promise you that if Jace Reuter gets his opportunity to be that guy in, in South in, in the South Carolina game, he will be that vocal leader and he will exude that confidence um, and, and try to draw the team towards him. It's just, I mean, it's typical pack mentality. I mean, he's going to try to, if he gets his opportunity, take that, take that spot because he, he, he's extremely talented and he feels like it should be his. So, you know, Sam has to be ready to not only play well, it doesn't have to play fault free, but he has to play well. He's got to play clean. He's also got to be ready to play the game too. And, and, and the game that I'm referring to is the locker room game uh, and the charisma game and the confidence game so that, you know, his teammates fall in line behind him because, that's what the quarterback's job is, no matter how old or young they are, is to be that leader and to be the uh, to be the face of the offense. So Sam's going to have to take on that role, whether he likes it or not. Um, and from what I'm hearing, I mean, that's that's everything he's saying in the media, at least, is the right thing to say. He's you know, he's he, he's clearly communicating that that's what he wants to do, that's who he wants to be, and who he expected to be. You know, in terms of being that vocal leader, that's who he expected to be when he came on the campus. So. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I mean, there's no way to really know until you're in that locker room, but um, I would expect Sam is going to have to take that on whether he likes it or not. And then as a follow-up to you, Mike, do you think that UNC may be running the ball a little bit more against the, the Gamecocks and what they will in later games just because of uh, Howell's inexperience and the deep and just talent there that UNC has in the running back room? Yeah, I would say that our running game against, you know, at least from a from a from a Jimmy's and Joe's perspective, um, it, it, there's a slight advantage there over South Carolina. Their their run defense was good last year. It wasn't great. 
Um, and, you know, they, they showed flashes of being very good, but they also showed flashes of getting gashed. And some of that was a function of having really young guys on that side of the ball that got thrown into action because they didn't, you know, Muschamp just didn't really have a choice. He had to play young guys and he couldn't redshirt as many people as he necessarily wanted to. Um, the, 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 that's sort of a, that's a double-edged sword, right? So you've got youth over there, but that youth got a, got a year's worth of experience last year too. And the only thing that makes you better, I've said this time and time again, the only thing that makes you better at college football is playing college football in games. And these guys, you know, on for South Carolina, these young guys, they have more game experience than I think a lot of, a lot of young players um, can expect or a lot of young players get, especially defensive linemen and, or I guess front seven guys really, um, you know, the, sort of the thud players, um, you know, the guys that have to be physically developed to be successful at their position, you know, they all got, you know, baptism by fire a little bit last year. So though I would give UNC's running game a slight advantage over South Carolina's uh, run defense, I think it's much closer than, than it necessarily looks on paper. That being said, they're going to have to, Carolina is going to have to run the ball to take a little bit of pressure off of Sam Howell. And that's why Michael Carter uh, is one of my players, you know, players to watch in this game. And, and so is Antonio Williams and that entire running back core. But, you know, Michael Carter, this is an opportunity for him to kind of go off behind what is and should be a, an improved offensive line. Um, the other person I think we need to be paying close attention to is Nick Polino, who just bumped down in the, to the center spot, um, who will be Sam's center going into this going into this year, which obviously Nick was a, was a guard last year. So um, it'll be interesting to see how he handles that transition. Um, and he obviously being in the middle of that offensive line is the anchor of that line. So the run game will go how our interior three go, and our interior three will typically go how the center goes. Um, so, yes, it, they're going to have to lean on the run game. I would expect them to lean on the run game a little bit early on just to test the waters and see if they can win the game on the ground and not necessarily have to put that kind of throwing pressure on the Sam's shoulders. All right, let's go ahead and take our first commercial break to talk about our friends over at Giant T-Shirt and GiantT-Shirt.com. They are your place to go for Carolina gear. They are an icon there on Franklin Street. They've been in business for decades, family-owned, and they cater solely to UNC fans. They have the brand-new Mac is Back T-shirts as well as all the updated gear for this year's football season. So when you're in Chapel Hill on game days, make sure that you stop by there. Or if you're out of town and can't make it, you can shop at Giant T-shirt and GiantT-shirt.com. Get the best customer service as well. And if you are an Inside Carolina premium subscriber, you get 10% off of your orders. So you can get that code from the IC Premium Message Boards, save 10% either online at GiantT-Shirt.com or at their store on Franklin Street. Remember, Giant T-Shirt, your place to go for Carolina gear. All right, guys, let's go ahead and talk about the aspect of playing in Charlotte because this is a big event rather than just your traditional, you know, home game or away game for the opener. So, you know, Mike, when you're looking at the team's mentality, especially the young guys, how do you think that they will handle the pressure of playing down there in the Panthers stadium? Uh, well, it's, it's, I mean, not necessarily pressure. I mean, a stadium is a stadium and for the guys that have played, you know, they most, you know, one, one stadium is really no different than the others where, where you really start feeling it a little bit is when you get to the, you know, the hallowed ground of, you know, the stadiums like Florida state, Virginia tech, um, the old Georgia Dome, right, where a lot of really big football games have been played, Notre Dame. Um, that's that's when you get a little starstruck um, and you feel like there's a little added pressure. That's when the stadium actually has an impact. I mean, I would say that 
playing in Charlotte won't be any different for them than playing anywhere else or playing in a bowl game. I mean, a lot of college football games are played in NFL stadiums now, so it's just not the same. It doesn't have the same effect on players. At least it didn't on me, and I think EJ would probably say the same thing. Um, It just didn't have the same effect. Now, what I will say is that the Panthers field, I I would hope, is better now than it was when we played on it because it was a – we played on it. It, The the grass was – Real soft, squishy, loose. I mean, it was an injury waiting to happen. I, I did not like playing in Charlotte. I didn't like playing on that field. It always felt like your footing was was going to slip every time you tried to push off and drive. Um, so hopefully the you know the the field will be a little bit better. It'll obviously be hot and muggy, uh, likely muggy, muggier than in Chapel Hill, and not as muggy than in Columbia. So you know whoever is uh, you'll see a lot of cramping you'll see some dehydration just because adrenaline's high and guys that's what that's what happens first game of the year in the heat um i think the team that has the the most guys that are not cramping at halftime will have the best chance of winning this game frankly cuz late in the game you're going to see guys start to drop ej was the field there in charlotte was it really as bad or is mike being dramatic uh, this is the one time that Mike is not being dramatic. Uh, <laughs> that, that field is, is not very fun to play on. I myself uh, have a concussion that kind of went unreported that uh, that, that game uh, in in Charlotte. So it's it's not a fun field to play on. And like Mike said, I do completely agree with him. Like when you play those hollow ground games, that's when it really starts to affect you. For me, Notre Dame, my uh, redshirt freshman year, I was completely starstruck when I walked out on that field. But, I mean, I'm just glad that we got a chance that Friday to do the walkthrough. So, it wasn't I'm, – I'm, I'm focused on the game when it's time to go up and warm up for the game, not the fact that I'm in this historic stadium. Our same thing with Virginia Tech, which was probably a little bit more special for me growing up in Virginia, watching the likes of, of Michael Vick and all the other Virginia Tech greats play. And the fact that we got to play there on a Thursday night where Virginia Tech was kind of looked at as unbeatable and to go in and win, like – those moments like that mean a lot more than playing in the NFL stadium. Now, if we were to play in like Lambeau or the Cowboys stadium, that might be a different story. But I think uh, not not to say anything bad about the Panthers stadium, but I think that's kind of it, – it doesn't have the glamour because it seems completely accessible to a lot of the kids that are in Chapel Hill. A lot of them grew up in North Carolina and grew up going to watch uh, the Panthers play. So it may have been somewhere they always wanted to play, but I don't think it's going to cause any extra level of pressure or nervousness for those players. Um, I feel like that in in these days and time, the way the recruiting process is and the way they make these kids feel like all-stars, a lot of those guys probably feel like that they should be playing there anyway. So I think it's going to be business as usual, and I think they'll take the opportunity to prove that they deserve to be playing in stadiums like this for years to come once their college career is over. EJ, what about just in terms of the players kind of putting limits on themselves in terms of not trying to run out of steam too early in this game? Because you've talked about it. We've heard a lot about the depth at at defense. And Jay Bateman, he's going to be requiring a lot out of his players. And he doesn't have the ball control offense at Carolina that he had at Army. So do you think that the coaches are kind of getting the word to these guys that, hey, it's going to be the first game. We know that you're going to be coming out. But are they really preaching not going 100% right from the opening so they are able to make it through all four quarters? Oh, of course not. That is the last thing that they're saying. So the first game, <laughs> that was addressed this summer during conditioning and during training camp. I can guarantee you 
that these guys are in shape and they're ready to go. I saw them in the spring game. I saw how they were flying around. Haven't had a chance to go to any practices, but just watching some of the film and the highlights, these guys are in shape. They they will pass the look test. So I'm 100% confident that these guys are ready. But then again, there's also no conditioning that you can do for the amount of nerves that these guys are going to be having. So, of course, they're going to they, – they, I think the coaches are going to be telling them, hey, go out here, go a little harder, warm up, get warm up, get the jitters out so you can just be relaxed and stay calm the rest of the game. So I think that's going to be the approach. I don't, I don't think a coach will ever tell a kid not to go as hard as he possibly could uh, unless, he was a, unless there was an injury. But if there was an injury – the coach probably won't put that kid in that situation. So I think it's going to be more of an aggressive approach to pregame. Kind of like, like me and Mike had said before, I mean, we had the, the benefit of warming up against each other uh, during my whole senior year. So we knew that that first play, we're coming off full speed against each other just to kind of get those jitters out and knock the cobwebs out. And then it's time to play ball. So I think that'll help get some of the nerves and shake some of those cobwebs loose so those guys aren't going out there and expending all that in, energy uh, worrying about the nerves of this being the first game and the fact that the stage they're on, the, the excitement about Coach Brown being back, the fact that they're playing an SEC opponent in an NFL stadium, they're going to be some nerves. So that pregame warm-up intensity definitely helped with that. Mike, when you and EJ were warming up against each other, you know, who, who got the better of those majority of the time? Was it 50-50? You know, uh, how, how do you recall those going? I was actually just sitting there having flashbacks on that. There was something about pregame warm-ups, and I don't know what it was, but EJ decided that he was always going to play a foot and a half lower than he did during warmups than he did the whole week during practice. And I just wasn't going to bend that much because my body hurt and I didn't want to get that low. So typically it was EJ, but uh, I, I will also say that um, yeah, we, we would go full tilt for about three to four steps. And then we were also very good about, about letting it go. So we'll, we'll just say that, that, that it was a, a gentleman's draw. Uh, for mo- yeah. most of those most of those bouts, but for some reason EJ he would put his hand in the dirt and would be three inches off the ground, um, and there's really not a whole lot you can do about that. Ask any left tackle that ever had to block Robert Quinn. Ooh, oh yeah, yeah. So, I, I, you know why I was that low in my stance? That was just a special gift for you, Mike. I wanted to make sure that you were ready for anything that would come at you during that game. Thank you, people <laughs> helping people. I appreciate you making me better. Exactly. <laughs> no all right, so, hey, let's go ahead and talk about, you know, South Carolina as the opponent. Mike, you are from North Carolina. Growing up, you know, was there ever any thought that South Carolina was a rival on the scale of, you know, even like Wake Forest in state in terms of, you know, getting amped up to play them as a UNC player? Um, not not really, um, which is which is odd because there's there's a huge South Carolina contingent in Charlotte, obviously. Um, but no, I, I, again, I, I'm the wrong person to ask that question to because I, I've told I've said this on this podcast, and I'll I, you know I tell people who ask I me mean, I didn't follow college football when I was you know in high school. I, I was I was a basketball player. I was a Carolina basketball fan. I didn't know that UNC even had a football team until they beat Miami in '04. And I was pulling for Miami, and I actually turned that game on going through the old TV guide, and I saw it on the TV guide, and I said, it's not basketball season. And I clicked on that, and it was a UNC-Miami football game, and I was pulling for Miami. So that was the first time I ever knew that UNC even had a football team, um, and I was, I was rooting for the other guys. So uh, I am the wrong guy to ask about rivalries. I didn't understand the NC State rivalry uh, coming into college. I, I didn't really understand any of that. I understand it now. 
and I fully subscribe to it. Um, but I'm, I'm the wrong guy for, for that type of question. Let me come back to you then because I, I, I'll rephrase it a little bit for you. But EJ, what about the team playing an SEC opponent? So let's expand it out just from the aspect of playing South Carolina. Do you think that the guys are going to be a little bit more amped up knowing that they are going against SEC? And I mean, unless if they're Mike and just didn't follow football, I'm sure they've seen the, the games where the SEC fans love to chant that SEC nonsense anytime that they win. Do you think that gives them some extra motivation for Saturday? Oh, it definitely does. I mean, you hear all this talk about the SECs where football is played and the ACC, that's a basketball conference. So there's a huge chip on, on our shoulders anytime we get to step in front of a, a SEC team. And the fact that these guys wear Carolina on the front of their jersey was always the reason why I disliked them a lot because, I mean, everybody knows who the real Carolina is. So I think that's kind of the double-edged sword that's going to get guys uh, really hyped up for this game. But, I mean, you're playing – and just think about the, the guys who are seniors. And I know this just through my experience. When you go to watch film with some of these coaches at the Combine, they're not going to be watching film against a 1AA school. They're going to watch you play the Florida States and the Clemsons and the Alabamas and any SEC schools that you can because they feel like this is the most formidable competition. So these guys want to go out here and prove and say, hey, just because I'm at an ACC school doesn't mean I'm not good enough to come to the SEC and dominate and show that, hey, yeah, Clemson is the front runner on our team, but every team in our conference, every team in our division can compete with most SEC schools. So um, I definitely think that there's going to be a, a chip on these guys' shoulders, and, and it, it, it should be. This is a chance for us to, to not only prove that we're turning this program around, to prove that Mac is back is real, and that's not just a battle cry that we're saying, and to prove themselves against an the SEC opponent. And uh, to really – and, and you think about it, recruiting comes into play too because, I mean, those guys are right in our backyard, so there are a lot of things that are going to uh, go into these guys being a little extra motivated for this game. Yeah, you actually touched on what I was going to ask uh, Mike there, EJ, in terms of recruitment and the importance of the game. So, Mike, over to you. What do you think about that aspect of it? I mean, you, you're living down there in Charlotte right now. Do you think that for those kind of elements that there could be some extra impact on this one? Well, I mean, the players aren't really cognizant of that. And if they are, they don't really care. Um, but the coaches do and, and the schools do. Um, the administration does. I mean, there's, there's a reason why both of these schools are so gung-ho to play in this game and to play it in Charlotte. Um, it is, you know, Charlotte is essentially the direct midway point between Columbia and Chapel Hill. And it is a recruiting hub right now. Um, there's a lot of talent coming out of the Charlotte area. And there has been for for a number of years and South Carolina and North Carolina have both been very good about picking off uh, some of the top talent from this, from this area. Now Clemson is coming in. Uh, Clemson has started to recruit this area pretty hard um, and be successful. They've always recruited it, but they're starting to be obviously more successful now winning a couple of national championships helps you with that. So there is uh, there, there is an element of urgency to this game from a recruiting standpoint, because there are going to be, you know, you'll be able to have a lot of the same kids that both schools are recruiting come to this game. And whether they're a guest of South Carolina or they're on North Carolina sidelines for pregame and sitting in the North Carolina or the South Carolina fan section, they're watching both schools and they're watching both programs. And, and, and the winner of this game will likely have an impact because one coaching staff is going to have to explain to those recruits um, you know, why they didn't win and why the recruits shouldn't care that they didn't win. 
and another coaching staff is going to be able to sit there and 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 kind of fly that flag and say, you know, listen, we, you know, we 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 beat we beat those guys from from up there. We beat those guys from down there, and I think we all now know who the real Carolina is. So why don't you come on? Um, that's a much easier recruiting pitch to give after a win than it is after a loss. So there 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 are some stakes here for the coaching staff, and there are certainly stakes for recruiting. Um, and this game, you know, will will impact that to some degree. All right, let's take our last commercial break. And when we get back, we'll go ahead and start wrapping this one up. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. And we're back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegley here with Mike Gingersoll and EJ Wilson. Guys, as we start to go ahead and wind this one down, let me ask you guys both. And I want just a one-word answer. EJ, start with you. Who is this game more important for, South Carolina or UNC? UNC. All right, Mike, what about you? What's your answer? UNC. Oh, both of you guys are going with the Tar Heels. All right. So since you're unanimous, let's actually hear just a brief explanation why. EJ, why do you think it's more important that the Tar Heels pull out the victory? Uh, a couple reasons. One, we need to wipe out that nasty taste that the last couple seasons have left in the mouth of both the players, the staff, the administration, and the fans. Two, it's against South Carolina. I mean, it's against an SEC opponent. And, and three, the most glaring one, uh, it, it's Coach Brown. It's, it's everybody wondering, is, is this excitement real? Uh, is he coming back? Is he really coaching? What's this team going to look like? So I think there are a lot of unanswered questions that these guys need to go out and answer on Saturday. Not all of the questions not about how successful this season is going to be, but if this if Mac Brown really came in and made an impact and changed the culture of this program. So those are the reasons why I think it's more important than UNC. All right, Mike, anything to add to that, or did EJ pretty much hit the nail on the head there? Yeah, it's he, he did, and just to elaborate on that a little bit, it, this a win here will validate the Mac Brown rehire, um, and it'll validate it in the eyes of the players. It'll validate it in the eyes of the, of the fans and in the eyes of the administration at the school. Um, you know, South Carolina is a middle-of-the-road at best SEC team. They've had some, you know, a couple of fluke years where they were better than others, but um, you know, they, they've never really flown that high. Carolina has for, you know, North Carolina has for as long as I can remember uh, been characterized at every little inkling and glimpse of real success that the program has been characterized as this sleeping giant. Um, and I remember it started when we played, um, we played West Virginia and West Virginia characterized UNC before that bowl game back in 2008 as a sleeping giant. And after the game said, we wouldn't want to play them again. Derek Dooley at Tennessee said the same thing going into the 2010 season. Obviously, they that's why they canceled the home and home. But then obviously they played us in the bowl game, which was sweet irony. Um, and, and, and other schools and other coaching staffs have said similar things along the way. So though we've been scraping the bottom of the barrel the last couple of years in the win column, um, and from the you know from a talent development standpoint and a production standpoint, for some reason there is always this this feeling and this sense of expectation with with North Carolina, and there really isn't with South Carolina. And I say that living in the Charlotte area, um, where that that sense is very real that 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 Tar Heel fans and even those who who are fringe fans but just pay attention. Uh, all for some reason, whatever that reason may be, expect you know North Carolina to be uh, to 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 be a multi-sport standout school. Um, you know, to, we are a women's soccer school, right? But to be a 
women's soccer, basketball, field hockey, football, power, that expectation is there. I don't necessarily know if that expectation is there at South Carolina because aside from a couple of years in baseball, they haven't really been top tier from an athletics department standpoint ever. Um, so from that perspective, this is much more important to North Carolina, getting off on the right foot, validating the Mac Brown hire. And that's not to say that if they lose, that it invalidates the hire, but this would, do, this would serve Carolina much better with a win moving forward. It would serve the staff much better with a win moving forward. So that's why things are, are, are there's a little more urgency for UNC um, than there is for South Carolina in this game. And I'll say this too, with the way that Coach Brown has been recruiting, especially that Charlotte area, if the Gamecocks do lose on Saturday, the South Carolina fans are going to be displeased with Will Muschamp. And that's probably putting it very, very lightly. So I actually think that this game is pretty big for both programs. Let's go ahead, though, and get your guys' predictions on how the game will go. Then, then let's wrap it up with a final score prediction. So, EJ, lead us off. How do you think the game will go, and what do you think the final score will be? I hope that we'll come out uh, with intensity on defense because I'm honestly not too worried about us setting the tempo with the run game on the offensive side of the ball. We all know that our, our running back room is the most talented room that we have on our team. Uh, they're a proven bunch. So um, I, we're going to be physical on offense. I think Sam's going to surprise a lot of people. I was very impressed by what I saw from him in the spring game and just reading what the coaches and the rest of his teammates have been saying about him. So I think we're going to operate essentially on offense, and I think that we're going to surprise some people on defense. I think that those guys are going to come ready to play. They were tired of getting beat up on. That secondary was tired of of everyone blaming the problems of the whole defense on them last year. And our defensive line is going to be ready to hunt. And our linebacking core – we're going to keep them clean. They're going to fly around and make plays. So um, that I think we're going to play a physical game on both offense and defense, and we're going to keep them guessing on their on their toes, especially on defense. All right, score prediction, EJ. Thirty-one twenty-one, UNC. Ooh, I like it. Ten points, dang! All right, Mike, let's get your prediction, man, and then we'll go ahead and wrap it up after that. I'm a little less optimistic than EJ is, and this isn't me being down on on Carolina. I just uh, I'll wait to. I'll change my opinion when I when I when I see it. But as I see this game progressing early on, yeah, they're going to fly around. It's going to look a lot like the Cal game from last year. We're going to have every opportunity to win the game. Um, but what is going to ultimately happen is there are going to be mistakes and there are going to be mental errors. And Carolina, unfortunately, I feel like is going to make more of those in this game uh, with new offensive and defensive adjustments and you know new schemes that they've had to learn and a lot of youth across the board. I think Carolina, unfortunately, is going to is going to lose the mental error battle. Um, they're going to be in a position to win the game, but I think late South Carolina is going to pull away. I see this being a 27-17 to 17 type of game, maybe 24-14. to 14. I will say this. If Carolina can win the turnover battle, I think that margin shrinks. And I think it becomes more of a three-point spread than the currently projected 10-point spread that Vegas has put out. Um, if Carolina wins that turnover battle and if they win a phase in special teams, um, you know, they block a kick or run a kick back, I think all of a sudden you're going to see Carolina's chances of winning dramatically increase, which is mathematically and statistically, it's just the way football works. If you win two out of the three phases, you're probably going to win the game. Um, I, I think, I think that spread shrinks to three. And at that point, it's anybody's game. It comes down to a field goal. Um, but I think the ultimate result is going to be somewhere in the 24 to 14 or 27 to 17 uh, neighborhood. 
with Carolina in a position to tie the game during the fourth quarter, but I see something happening and that opportunity slipping away. Really can't argue with that. I kind of lean a little bit more towards Mike on here. Uh, I do think that South Carolina will probably end up winning the game. I think it will be closer, though. I, I don't see the 10-point spread. I'll go 27-21 Gamecocks, but, you know, it, it's like you said, if, if the turnovers happen, and EJ, if you're correct, and the defense really gets after it, they could be in for a big, big performance, and South Carolina could be surprised. Uh, but I think that'll go ahead and wrap us up for this one. Thank you very much for talking with me. EJ, Mike, hope you guys have a good rest of the week, and we'll see how Saturday unfolds. You too. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.